I pledge myself to the pod. Loyal I'll always be. A P to start, a D at the end, and an O sitting in between. Welcome back to In Omnia Paratus. I'm Jay, like the letter. And I'm Angela, also known as AVO. Oh, I know what I wanted our intro to be. I remember this now. <laughs> okay, go for it. What's my name in your phone? Oh, okay. You are, let me pull this up. You are J, last name, peachy, anchor, umbrella with rain emoji, peach emoji. The peach has nothing to do with my butt, by the way. Absolutely not. It's a girl meets world reference. And now apparently a Justin Bieber song? Are we too old for that? Are we too old for both of those? Yeah. Well, Girl Meets World was when we were in college, and it was all about the transitional phase of life around your senior to my seniorish year. Mm-hmm. So, like, it wasn't that I was going through the exact same thing, but a lot of things were out of my control and changing. So I had a kinship with the two main characters. And then I made Angela watch it and cry. All the feels. Who would have thought that adult Cory and Topanga could do that to us? Oh my god, their son. I remember one of my favorite episodes, their kindergartner son, Augie, comes back from school and is crying. My kindergarten girlfriend broke up with me and he's all sad. We're supposed to get married and have be together forever and ever and ever. And Topanga's like, well, silly, that's not true. Like, no one does that. Where'd you get that idea? And then he points (laughs) to Topanga and then she's like, oh, whoops. I know. They do give slightly unrealistic expectations for how easy it is to find your person. Not necessarily how easy. Wholly. Completely. Unabashedly. Um, I'm comparing the whole Corey fell into the thing at the zoo and Topanga helped him out to the father who recently got caught bringing his two-year-old into the elephant encampment at the San Diego Zoo. Okay, I don't understand that. Topanga's version or... The human or the the, the real person. They're both human. The real person who brought his child into the enclosure. Also, when you watch that video of him getting out. He drops him? Yeah. Drops the kid inside the the enclosure, climbs out himself, then reaches back in for the kid. If you were going to drop the kid anyway, just stick the kid through the fence and drop him on the outside. Ooh, this is a great transition. Would you like to know why? Do you think you know why? I don't know. Because... What kind of trauma do you think that two-year-old's going to have having his father dropped him inside an elephant thing when ages zero to five are the most formative in a young child's brain? Ooh, so much. So much that this kid will never even know about but will slowly need to unpack. Probably starting in his, what, we'll say like preteen years? Preteen's probably when it's going to start manifesting and then late teens, 20s, maybe work it out. 30s, actually work it out. Mm -hmm. Do three-month check-ins just to make sure that everything's up to par? Probably. I remember when I took AP Psych, it was one of my favorite classes. When it got to the time with the diagnoses, as most young people do, kind of like WebMD, it was like WebMD when we were learning about all of the dissociative disorders and ADHD and bipolar disorder. Every time my teacher's like, symptom is like, can sometimes feel very happy and very sad. It's like, oh my God, we have everything. (laughs) Do I have multiple personalities? Is that what I'm getting at? My therapist recently made me think I might have multiple personality disorder. It's not that that but it's one of the traits i have i'm fine guys don't worry i have one personality if i'm fed or not fed or overheated but like that's it i promise wait so one personality for each of those or one personality regardless of those what (laughs) well no you said i have one personality if i'm fed if i'm overheated if i oh no those are individual Okay, okay individual people at the round table Got it. Okay. Kind of like Barney Stinson and his personality and his like people per district of New York, borough of New York. Oh, okay. I got you. The rhyming episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a great episode. AP Psych. I remember the first time learning that most things that affect who we are, what we are, why we are, what we see the world as are before the age of five. I started kindergarten at four, meaning I wasn't most of my life has just been how I responded between pre-kindergarten and my first two months of kindergarten. And yes, that's like a figure. I'm sure people go more or less, whatever. This is our episode to use and speak freely. That's why I created this platform. We created this platform. (laughs) I created this platform, whatever we want to go with. So everything in your life is based off of a kindergartner's response. Continue. Yes. The way you interact and the way you see and the way you like reason and like your beliefs are by then. So Angela, like what's one big thing that happened in your life? 
before the age of five. Just one? Well, like, you've had trauma after that, but, like, we're going to go with, like, a foundational one and then, like, a shaping one and then, like, a I didn't realize this one. So one would be uh, my mom had an undiagnosed seizure disorder and... From the ages, I think from two to four was when it was found and then when doctors were trying to adequately treat it and get it under control, but it took a long time. But I remember that there was one instance where we were leaving some sort of event and dropped another family member off at their home and my mom picked me up to leave because it was late at night. And then all of a sudden, I just remember like moving down and I couldn't really understand because it was just like everything was moving really slow. Slowly, my mom was falling and she was like losing her grip on me. Were you outside on like cement? We were just inside the door. So she fell. Oh, back. thank goodness. Yeah. I mean, she- not thank, but other people, not just you a two-year-old. Yeah. yeah, so she she fell back into the house and I think my dad was there, my aunt who lived there and a couple other people and they had to call an ambulance and take my mom to the hospital and then I had to go. I don't remember the exact sequence of events but I remember at some point sitting in the car with another one of my aunts and her children while we were waiting to find out what was going on with my mom because they weren't letting a lot of people into the emergency room because it was a Saturday night, very crowded. And when we did go into the hospital I then remember being alone sitting in a chair and all of these people running by and lights flashing and I didn't know this at the time but apparently like someone in the ER came in with a gun and was then threatening a doctor I'm sorry did Owen Hunt start singing and <laughs> April like help a guy with a knife in his head um I maybe who knows might have slipped into a bit of an alternate reality there but that's one of the first memories that I have and it really informed on the entire way that I thought about health and doctors and hospitals. And I worked, had to work through a lot of that and really only within, we'll say like the last five to seven years have I actually been okay and not had panic attacks when going into a hospital or completely broken out in fi- broken out in hives. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, I have a few questions. Mm-hmm. One, so it's like, you know how all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares? Yes. So you said your mom had an undiagnosed seizure disorder, but that meant epilepsy. So are all seizure disorders epilepsy, but not all? No. I know I've asked you this before, but like, I'm, you said all, if you get seizures, it's epilepsy, but why would you say that is it could it not be epilepsy well no i think i go more with seizure disorder because it's well okay i go more with seizure disorder because it's easier for people to understand i've found that when i say epilepsy people think that that automatically means one type of seizure generally where you convulse and my mom doesn't have those she has oh i forget the exact name of it but basically it's almost like she spaces out so it's it's like oh. a like a 30 second blackout kind of oh yeah so i, I did know not like know the, there were other types of seizures They don't portray those on television. They do not. With my mom's seizures, there's no real like physical symptom other than the fact that she would be non-responsive, but it's also for such a short period of time for her that it's hard to tell if she's just, she's spaced out, really concentrating on something or like she's actually having a seizure. So does a seizure, even though there can be physical symptoms, have to do more with what's happening in the brain? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I'm I'm not fully up there on everything with seizures and the different types of epilepsy, mm-hmm. but all in her brain. And I think that it goes back to a childhood injury where um, she was like running around playing with her siblings and they were playing baseball. So one of them like swung back really hard with a baseball bat and like caught her like right over her eye. Ooh. Yeah. Second question. Mm-hmm. You know Lore DIY and Hot Boyfriend Jeremy, the other podcast I told you you shouldn't watch? Oh, yes. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. Just because I recent – no, I just recently found out that she has talked a lot about – struggling with mental illness and anxiety attacks oh good job well do you do you know why she how she got diagnosed why she got diagnosed no so her one of her old boyfriends unfortunately he's now passed he had epilepsy and for one of his first bad seizures 
she was the only one with him when it happened. Oh, no. And I think this was, like, 17, 18. And then the other reason I was going to bring it up, and not to bring it into, like, influencer and, like, minimize what you went through, obviously, but she also got diagnosed with the metaphobia, which I don't know if you've ever formally been diagnosed, but I remember oh. when you told me about this, I was yes. really confused. No, Especially I that when it manifested in actuality, how much detail you like to give about it, it was a little – I was confused. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I never formally diagnosed just something that I had a very, very strong aversion to. However, I I don't know if you were there or if you had left at this point or if you maybe were not involved at all. I'm really sorry. My, my, su- my superpower is failing me right now, but there was an instance in college where one of our friends had a very bad reaction to some food Oh, and that's she... not even what I was talking about. I was talking about when you oh. had the stomach bug. Oh, yeah. No, but when this happened to her, I sat with her for three hours while it continuously happened, and that, that kind of worked me through. It was just like oh. really intense immersion therapy. Ooh, no. Oh. Yeah. Not recommended at all. <laughs> so for those who don't follow influencers' mental health very religiously, emetophobia is the fear of vomiting. I was going to go with throwing up, but sure, if you want to make it more graphic, that's your choice. Oh, I ugh, oh, I, I don't know. It's it's the immersion therapy, guys. I'm just in it. Yeah. So I remember Angela told me she had a fear of it. Like, I don't remember when it came up, but it might have been there was too much adult beverages involved and you were like really scared. No one enjoys oh. it. I don't know. No one enjoys it, but Angela had like this other degree of, I don't know, I could be making this up. There were a lot of like nights that kind of blend together through college. One, I'm old now. Two, adult beverages kind of can mess up your brain a little bit. Of you pacing to not. Yep, that, that was that night. Yep. Yeah. I think that actually happened a couple times, but that was also a really big informant on why I didn't want to really drink anymore because any sort of nausea immediately freaks it freaked me out and I'd start to panic, which would only make it worse. But it was like the idea of it happening when it happened was the exact thing that filled my nightmares. And also just in recent years, I kind of understand this a little bit better as well. With my IBS, when I do throw up, it wholly messes up my digestive system. And I've now figured out that's also why it really freaks me out because I can't stop. This is going in a really weird direction. I am so sorry, everyone. (laughs) I can't even transition from that. I I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's just one of those things where like, at least for her, she says it's the anticipation of it, not the actual act. But yeah, for you, if that happens, that's probably why. And then the third question, which we're going to veer right from that a little bit, is <laughs> what in CBT therapy, one of the phrases I've been learning and have had to been using, that I guess after what happened to you at 2-4, what did you tell yourself when going to a hospital or what did you anticipate happening that made you so anxious and nervous? Was it like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to have a terminal illness. These buildings are where gunmen are. Like what what triggered it? Like was it the unknown? Like so I think think I think it was a lot related to the unknown not knowing where my mom was or if she was going to be okay because back then I'm not exactly sure how much I was aware of or how much I'd already been involved in but I did know that like my mom was going to the doctor a lot during those times and I didn't get to see her a lot because of that and then also while this was going on as well I think my grandfather on my mom's side, he had cancer and he was in home hospice treatment. And while my mom was working and going to doctors and all of that, I would stay with various family members and I actually did stay with my grandma and grandpa a lot. So I had like an up close experience with like extended medical professionals that way. So I think it's like seeing all of that and then knowing like my mom is going here, she's not okay. Like what if something's going to happen to her that's worse than this. But like, what if you were the one going to the doctor? Oh, yeah. If I was going, I was completely freaked out. I was, I've 
always been convinced that there's something like greater wrong with me. Like anytime I had a headache, it's like, oh, I have a brain tumor. Or if I had a stomach ache, I have appendicitis. If I fell and cut myself, and these are all thoughts that I had from a very young age. Like if I fell and cut myself, I was like, oh, it's going to get infected and I'm going to get gangrene and then they'll have to amputate my limb. Just created this very strong, intense, worst case scenario response that made me really try to internalize a lot of my pain and fear and try to self-soothe when it came to these things because I didn't want to go to the doctor or the hospital. And also just seeing the response of other people in my family when they had to go to the doctor or hospital either for themselves or for others, I didn't want to bring about that response in them for me because I didn't want them to have to worry about me. Childhood. Yeah. It's a treat, man. It's also one of the things that like terrified me about becoming a parent and thinking about you have a kid, ideally long, healthy life. But those first five years are all like you really have to like shape them as humans unless like a big traumatic event happens. I learned this in college to change someone's behavior or set of behavior. Something needs to happen like prison, cancer, car crash. Like that's the only way to really like shake up and reset some of those systems in you. But other than that, zero to five and zero to two is even more pivotal. Honestly, it's a little overwhelming to think about because not only are you responsible for like shaping this person's outlook on the world, those are also the most breakable years. That's what fully freaks me out about children that small. It's like I'm generally confident that I could keep them within the bounds of like good psychology. Mm-hmm. But what if I drop them? What if I would? If- Maybe with the idea that you want to have a surrogate or adopt, we don't want to put that on the internet. Or continue that line of concern. Yes, adoption committee. I will not drop the child. I promise. Oh my God. Okay, continue. Moving on. Childhood. Fun. I don't know, Jay. What about you? Do you have, is there a moment that you remember or something that you don't remember that you know about that has particularly influenced your outlook on life? You're not asking very rhetorically. I'm hoping you're asking rhetorically. Yes. I promise I'm not trying to like pull a specific story out of you. Just like, is there something that- Well, no, I know you're not, but like- There should be something pretty blaring. Jay, you in fact are adopted. (laughs) Good job. Yeah. Might you, yes, might you want to share a little bit about how that has impacted your life experience consciously or subconsciously? So we're still working on this, but when my therapist put framed it as your, like we said, up to two is when all your neurons and things are firing synapsing. I was adopted when I was eight months old, meaning a third of that two years was in a different country. Then I got taken from that environment and moved to a different environment with faces I didn't recognize. You start recognizing faces at like three months, I think is what Ta-Nehisi Coates is writing about in his book, which is why it's very important to show diverse faces to children. Mm -hmm. And with quarantine, that's been really hard. I know some of our sorority sisters who have young kids have been buying books with people of color. They should anyway, but like there's much less exposure in the real world because you're not seeing people in the real world and then you're seeing masks and everything. God, that's right. But yes, I was, even if it was an ideal family situation, which it is, I'm very grateful for the family I have, I was taken out of an environment that I had been used to and adjusted to in some capacity to a new country where people were different. Everything was different, different time zones. And unfortunately, at that time, surprise, surprise, it'd be, I'm sure it surprises everyone now how verbal I am. I was nonverbal because you couldn't really speak before then. So anything that I needed to express or anything that was going on with me, one, I don't remember, and two, I couldn't articulate because baby. So Mm. working through that, even in the best case scenario, I think is kind of what what therapy has been helping me with. It doesn't matter how great your family is here or how great your family was there. At such a young age, being transitioned at that extreme of a level mm-hmm. is a traumatic event. So when you were young, did you do any sort of therapy to start addressing this or has this been something you've worked on mainly as you've gotten older? So in late elementary school, I started talk therapy and I like my therapist. We would always go get mochas and coffee cake at the cafe down the street. And I would normally talk about things not as serious serious, more kind of friend drama, things at school, and just kind of my mom wanted me to have someone who was completely objective out of our 
realm and more in just mine. Mm -hmm. So it was good for that. But I remember when I told a few people, they're like, oh, like, what's wrong? Like, what happened to you when I found out I was in therapy? And I was like, nothing happened. My mom just wanted to give me like another place to talk. But there was a huge kind of thing with it, like being in therapy at that time. I used to tell my friends I had doctor's appointments. Really? Yeah, because you, it's like what what was said to you? Like, oh, like, are you okay? Like, did something happen in your life? Like, what's wrong? Like, are you okay? And when you gave your response, like, what was their response after that? Something like, oh, just kind of confused. Mm-hmm. No, I think that that's something that I'm definitely a little bit envious of future generations because the way that therapy has become normalized or is trying to become normalized, they won't have to go through that. Definitely. And I think that I always, I don't know, this might be too, get too existential. It's a thing of like, if everyone's depressed, are we depressed or are we just, are we over-diagnosing? If like we're all depressed, is anyone depressed? And is it just part of the human experience? Were people really mm-hmm. different in different generations? Like, was there not this level of depression? Or is it that we're just more open and have a better grasp on why our mental health is so impactful and so important? I mean, I feel like mental health and just like a lot of things now, like it's going to go through these different waves of transition as we try to find an equilibrium to mm-hmm. truly address it. Because I think that in previous years, pre- previous generations, a lot of things were underdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. So I think we're right now in a period of overcorrection. Definitely. And then slowly that's going to start to even out because I think that, I don't know, I never did formal therapy as a child, but my elementary school offered this informal talk therapy for small groups of kids to be with their peers and share similar experiences and talk that through with an adult who had either like retired from therapy or like- You mean from being a therapist or like who'd retired from going to therapy? Uh, who who was a retired therapist, okay. thank you, or um, had some sort of like um, child academic counseling knowledge or something like that. So I did that from I think third to eighth grade. Oh. And that was, it was an interesting experience because it was offered through the school and everyone knew about it. So it was everyone like, this knew is- that it was offered or everyone knew who was going? Everyone knew who was going at like a certain time during the week. So I think it went for about six months of the school year. Your informal therapist would come like knock on your classroom door and collect you for an hour along with maybe another kid from your class or from the grade above or below you. And then you would go to an empty classroom into one of like the church rooms or to a space outside and you all would talk together about whatever whatever you wanted. And then was this something that the students said that they wanted or parents decided that their kids should sign up for? So I think parents decided when I started the school, they recommended I trial it for a few months just so that way they could like see my transition into the school. And I think they did that for most for most students. It was just whether or not the parents accepted it. So my mom agreed. And then I continued with it for the next few years because that's when she had cancer. And then after that, I still continued with it because that's when we got into like a little bit more of general like social dynamics of being a kid and like navigating your life and who you are and your family. And my my parents were never married and I went to a Catholic school. We have religion unit. At some point during the year, it always comes up different family dynamics. And in these books, which I, I don't know if they still do, but back then they had sections about children from unmarried parents and how that was not okay. So of course- What about gay? parents. I don't think the book had sections on that. Oof. Yeah, so that was just weird. So when I came home and started talking about that, like, oh, so-and-so said this, it's like, but I don't understand because my parents have never had a problem with it. That's just, that's who they are. That's how our family is. We all, we are all part of a unit together. But then when kids started questioning that, I didn't question it, but I was really confused about why it was such a complicated concept for them because I don't, like, we'd all known each other for a long time already. So yeah, so I continued, yeah, so I continued with that for seventh and eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So it like, I don't know if there was ever any sort of stigma around it, or maybe there was, maybe I just didn't know because when people decided that they wanted to talk about it, like I was never in the classroom. Yeah, I think that it's, I feel like all kids at some point need some form of therapy. I think all people need some form of therapy, period. Oh yeah, that. Trying to decide how I want to enter this so we don't change the episode. So I think one of the problems with religion... (laughs) (laughs) um the way my therapist phrases it we should make the unknown known but don't make the uncertain certain so for example 
more of a current day example, being an Asian American or Angela being an exotic American. (laughs) Do not use that term. I use it out of endearment and because we have a long rapport and friendship over that. Do not go calling people of ambiguous races exotic. PSA of the day. Yeah, but um, when – I'm so good at the disclaimers, I forget my point. When we enter the world – We know that the outside world is racist, sexist, misogynistic, patriarchal, and we, as of now, unfortunately, have to exist in that world. That is what we know. However, if someone came and robbed Angela or I, we, unless they say a slur or an accusatory slur, it could be because we're small. It could be because Angela wears Louboutins out now because she's that kind of girl. It could be because I have a nice purse. It could be because we're alone. And if we were to decide that it was racially motivated without having it factually, that's just not the whole scope of what could be going on. And what religion does in some instances is give people that certainty that it's really hard to sit within the world otherwise, especially as we all know, surviving a pandemic. We don't know why this disease exists. We don't know why this virus happened. We don't know why we're the ones who exist through it. And that's kind of hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. I think that is a really great way to put it because one of, personally, I had a pretty great religious upbringing Mm -hmm. overall. Um, Like Jay, we've talked about this before and we're not going to get too deep into it today, but we can one day. I had two gay priests growing up. So I had a very, very expanded view of what were they out they both did come out while you were there or after yes okay yeah while like while i was attending their church services i i wasn't there when they actually came out but both of them did come out so it's i liked my overall like expanded and they didn't burn walking into the church (laughs) no like i like i liked my overall expanded view of catholicism but the way that it was always explained to me growing up is like this is really important because it's a good foundation it's like maybe you won't stay with it but this is your starting point for how you navigate through uncertain times it's like instead of feeding into desperation look for comfort reach out for community that sounds very fortunate because something i've been seeing a lot of is there are a lot of particular counselors and therapists dealing in religious trauma oh yeah no i one of the things that I get most often from people right now as as we're filming this, we're at the very end of Lent and I've had to express to a few people like, oh no, sorry, like I'm I'm not meeting you for dinner. I, I'm not eating meat today. Oh, you're Catholic. I feel so sorry for you. Really? I'm, I'm, I'm confused as to why you feel that way, but thank you for sharing with me because also <laughs> as this comes out, this is going to be after our sorry episode. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So I've never had problems with being Jewish and having one of the things I love and I was always promoted to about Judaism is it's about asking questions and we all know how much I love to ask questions. And I think that again, like everything religion, take the good, leave the bad. And it's about using it as a support, but not an answer. Mm -hmm. I think that is the best way to put it. Thank you. You may transition now. So we've, we've given you a little bit of a background into our childhood trauma, but I know right now uh, the reason that we are talking about this is because it's also very fitting for us. We are both currently in therapy. And it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And it is Mental Health Awareness Month, that too. So yeah, I guess, I don't know, Jay, would you like to start? Would you like to share your story? Like my life story? Like, well, <laughs> well, no, you you start you started therapy again last summer, right? I started in the fall of 2019, right before we left for Europe. Oh, okay. But then I took a break during quarantine because I wasn't doing anything to be traumatized or to work through. I, I could have used it, but it wasn't a time where I felt like I wanted to do Zoom therapy. I didn't love the idea of doing therapy in this in my my room and my space because then it kind of like taints the space not like in an aura way but like I'm now associated with my room being where I do therapy and doesn't feel as safe even though therapy is a safe space it's messed with me I get that because it's nice to have that separation of where you do things like I only try to do work in the kitchen yeah I can say I mean I guess we could go on and on about everything I'm learning in therapy how to not therapize yourself how things to work on but One of the things I've recently, my therapist and I have been going over is 
kind of triggers and when you react to something very strongly after it's happened, feelings only are supposed to last between 30 and 90 seconds. So kind of going beyond that to what the belief is. So the first example I gave, Angela was actually in the story. We went to Paris last fall, two falls ago. Yeah. And on our first night there, we, let me wind up back a little. We were in Paris. I'm a very type A structured person. I don't, I like to plan. I don't like, I'm not a big go with the flow person. But on this particular night, I was trying to be a little bit more casual. Trying being the operative word. So we go to dinner and then there was a bit of a depth perception problem here because our, Angela and our other friend wanted to walk to the Eiffel Tower. And in this situation, I didn't have my wallet on me because originally I think we were just going to go for a short walk or we were getting gelato or something that wasn't going to be an extensive period of time out. I didn't bring, I didn't bring a purse. I didn't bring anything on me. I think I had my phone and that was it. Mm-hmm. And again, depth perception when you're walking on the Seine, like the Eiffel Tower is very large. So it looks closer than it is. So we're walking down there and then I start panicking. Cause like, I don't even know if I have my phone on me. No, I had, I took pictures. I didn't have, I didn't have the things to make me feel safe for an extended period of time alone at night I just I didn't because I thought we were just going for like a quick outing so I was trying to be fun and trying to not do anything unbeknownst to Angela and our other friend by the way this wasn't something that was actively happening but like I was really uncomfortable and my thought was by the time I started to really get anxious about this we were about halfway there and our other friend had never been to Paris before Angela and I both fortunately had had the opportunity so I was like I don't want to take this away I don't want to do anything so I just start getting more and more and more anxious as we're walking and trying to figure this out And when we finally get there, I like take a breath and stuff and they start talking about wanting to like go to bars that night. And I like lose it because I, ooh, even now, like I just felt so anxious and it was like, I didn't want my anxiety to impact them and what they wanted to do because it was the first night, the second night, I think the first night. I think it was the first night. Yeah, because you hadn't broken your knee yet. You broke your knee after this happened. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my Lord. So I was just like super anxious, super uncomfortable. And it was the thing of originally, do you remember why we went out for the first thing? Um, oh, we got dinner and then we had dessert. And then I think we wanted to see how something looked at night. So there was a reason that we were on the river. We hadn't eaten dinner because you guys brought food back after that. I don't know why. We had gone out to somewhere like five minutes away from our Airbnb, like literally five minutes away. And I could have and probably should have just asked them to turn back so I could go grab my purse because I'm not someone who leaves without things. I just, I'm a survivalist or as Angela says, like my outfits, I'm overprepared (laughs) and not being overprepared, like left me with some sort of real pit in my stomach, especially being in a foreign country. It just like was not sitting right with me and I told my therapist this story and even now we can see I have some very strong feelings attached to it and it feels like I'm back in that anxiety even though I'm two years removed from it so the question then becomes what belief and or thought processy and or neuron connection is there to feed me the feelings I'm still having now clearly since I'm crying now I don't know what the answer is so we know what I'll be talking about next time I have a session. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's it's the hardest thing when you can't figure out where those emotions are coming from and how strongly it informs this reaction in you. So we're going to take a brief pause moment and recenter the two of us. What do you need to center from? I don't know. I'm giving you a moment to center. Got it. I'm fine. It's, it's, I think Angel has a similar thing. So this will be her jumping off point of being a burden to others. And I think that also has to do obviously with how one views themselves. And that's kind of the route I get to currently try to work out. But yeah, catch. Okay. She started her most recent therapy journey two years ago paused and picked it back up it's sometimes it can really be a lifelong journey of trying to figure everything out and see all of the different ways that things impact each other so one of the ways that this has really started to come full circle for me is that around the same time that jay started going to therapy i was prescribed to group therapy and i i didn't necessarily think that i needed it but I went in just for a regular doctor's appointment. Um, and while I was sitting there, it wasn't my usual doctor. It was another doctor. And he was just looking at me and he's like, so how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm stressed. I'm late for work. 
can can we please get this over with so I can get to work? He's like, just hold on a second. And he comes back with this clipboard and he tells me to just take my time and fill out this assessment. So I'm looking at the top of it and it says GAF score, global assessment of functioning, and then goes in to describe how this is an assessment of my mental health. I'm, yeah, so I'm just, I'm sitting here looking at this questionnaire essentially and feeling so resentful of this doctor, but I'm also reading through it. I'm like, more than half of these questions currently apply to me and my mental state. I checked everything that I needed to to keep it at like a baseline of mental health because it actually gave me like the entire grading scale. But at the same time, I was like, oh no, things aren't right. So I checked just enough to put me on the tipping edge and he asked if I would like to go to therapy. So I said, yes, sure, why not? Let's do it. What were some of the questions? So, oh, okay, sorry. I guess I should explain a little bit about the GAF. Some of the questions that I saw on mine, because the questionnaires are a little bit different wherever you see them, are, have you felt hopeless in the last two weeks? Have you found it hard to focus or complete tasks? Are you procrastinating? Have you been overeating or refusing food? Does the thought of making or keeping plans make you feel overwhelmed? Are you speaking or moving so slowly that it would almost be unnoticed. And so you had to answer all of these yes or no and then rate them once a few days, half of all days, or more than half of all days, keeping in mind that this is evaluating your feelings over a period of two weeks. So I definitely freaked out a little bit because I've heard of the GAF before and it's used by medical professionals to assess where your mental state is and how well you're functioning in your daily life and whether or not you need immediate intervention. So like the thought the thought of immediate the thought of immediate intervention because I'm a worst case scenario person was positively terrifying, but as I was sitting there like looking at this piece of paper I was like, well, maybe I do need something more. So, I went to CBT group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy and was actually really helpful because affirmed to me that some of the things that I was going through, like they weren't just in my head things that I thought were making, thought made me a little crazy. And yes, I know the word crazy is canceled, but that's just how it felt. And then I had this really great workbook that I could then take and use at any time that I felt anxious or overwhelmed. I could pull that out and walk myself through different grounding techniques and meditations to try to lower my anxiety. But I don't know. So we we started our podcast journey in July or August of last year. It was April of 2020 is when we started. Then July, we kind of started recording. October, we okay. rebranded. And okay. December is when we launched. Yeah. So in July, we like started our like just try it recordings. Because obviously like who wants to put out weird content on the internet to live forever. But then I think in October, we did the rebrand. So then in November, we started really recording. And for December, and then like doing like the show notes and like different things to go along with that for the Instagram and everything. And Jay, you do all of the editing. So I hear it once it's all put together. But listening to myself, my audio seemed so weird to me. And at first I thought it was just because I had to listen to my own voice for an extended period of time. That's part of it. Yeah. If you've never done that before, try it and it's the weirdest thing ever. And then you'll never want to do it again. Dak Shepard says to do that. If you ever want to kind of see how you interact, record yourself either. I mean, I know therapists have recommended this too, like record yourself having a fight or just kind of to see how you interact, record yourself having a conversation. Oh man. Continue though. Oh. But listening to my audio back, everything seemed so weird and slow and choppy and disjointed. It, it basically felt like I was listening to a stranger. And I think that's really the first time it kind of hit me again. Like I thought of that little GAF score and I realized that there was something a lot bigger happening than my usual baseline anxiety. And I had to think about what my next step was. And I- Fun episode, huh? Yeah, so fun. So yeah, so like I really had to think about it. So I called, I called my doctor and um, I think it took about a week for me to get in and speak to an intake therapist where she had me do my GAF again and then talk about different things that were going on in my life. And 10 minutes into our conversation, I broke down and I just sobbed. And like she started, she started this by saying that this was just going to be a 30 minute intake and that there isn't going to be any therapy today. Oh, you roared her. Yeah. And that like, depending upon where our conversation went, she would either give me a referral for one-on-one therapy or I could go back to group therapy. <laughs> and I just sobbed. And I think she stayed on the phone with me for an hour and a half and she had, she had to therapy me. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it was a lot. But I guess 
I don't know. So this is one of those things where a lot of people in my life within the context of therapy have used different analogies with me. Um, Make sure like you're taking care of yourself like before you hit the wall, like pump the brakes before you hit the wall. Make sure your bucket doesn't overflow. Uh, Make sure the car doesn't run out of gas or my favorite, which is keep your toast from burning, (laughs) which is also sort of a weird one because at the same time you- I like my toast almost burnt. Oh yeah, no, I do not like that. I like it like practically just bread. the tiniest hint of golden. But yeah, no, like as she was asking me all of these questions, I realized that so many of them applied to me and especially the one which was, are you speaking or moving so slowly that people almost wouldn't notice, which doesn't actually mean that like you're trying to like go through like this like weird mime routine. Are your speech patterns like so affected that if you were to try to speak up or try to start a conversation, you, you were, it wouldn't even technically be considered like bulldozing you because the other person wouldn't even be aware that you were trying trying to, which apparently has been the way that I've been speaking for at least the past six months because this entire podcast journey has just sort of shown me like the general decline of my mental state as my thoughts and speech just continue to get more disjointed and Jay has to do more editing work. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, in podcasting term, one second of not hearing anything is a lot more alarming than one second in video or other formats or on a phone call or something. It's really alarming if there's more than like half a second. And then also I just want our podcast to typically be a little bit snappier. So Mm -hmm. I do, I don't like the breaks. Even more than that, it's not for me, it's not that Angela's been speaking slower. It's that it seems like she's had to think a lot more to come up with an answer. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. One of the things that generally sort of gives me anxiety in new situations is that I'll be unprepared or say the wrong thing, but it feels for every conversation that's been something that's come up recently. And even even just talking to Jay or my mom or like a coworker about something that I'm really knowledgeable in, it's like walking up a steep incline. It's like walking up the hill to the greenhouses in college. That's what it feels like anytime I have to have a conversation. And I know that doesn't mean anything to a lot of you, but it's this really, really steep hill where like it just, it's so, I was always driven to the greenhouses. Oh, I should have found someone to do that for me. But yeah, that's my really terrible analogy for this is the craziest uphill battle I've had to go through. But yeah, but it's good because now there's therapy involved. I did my intake. I have this really nice therapy app where I do like 10 or 15 minutes a day where it's my self-meditation and self-assessment and I have to think about where I am, what's going on in my life. And this is all while I wait for like my formal intake to be completed because I I don't know why, but I got assigned to a therapist in New Jersey. So we're going to be doing Zoom therapy. Fun. Is the app public or is it through your healthcare? Um, so I think it is actually it either it is public or it's going to be public. I know they sent me a link for a special download so it feeds back into my healthcare provider Got and it. they also accept the cost of it because I think I, I don't know what it actually costs, but like she told me because like I told her I was like, Oh yeah, I was like, I will download this right now. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry for taking up all like, taking up this time. Like I know you said this was only gonna be 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. She's like, Oh no, no. She's like, wait for the link. She's like, cause otherwise she's like, I don't want you to have to pay for it. Got it. Because I feel like now I've cried. You've become a turtle in speech. Time to kind of turn yep. this around. <laughs> Honestly, like the least likely person ever I've started. What has helped? What do you think either takeaways from therapy, things that actually help. Surprisingly, we're only at an hour, which I think means both of us have been speaking slower because I feel like I've been speaking forever. But my therapist had me start meditating and I've always been someone who like never wanted to meditate. Like meditating is dumb. I've tried it in the past. I've literally, I promise, I've tried it. I've gotten the calm out. I've gotten headspace. Like anyone, an influencer has pushed on me. I have downloaded and I have tried. Even calm where they have Harry Styles stories, I have tried. They don't work for me. Wow, I can't believe Harry Styles didn't work. I'm envisioning Harry style so my head's not real my head's busy <laughs> I'm just okay. thinking of Harry all right, that makes sense <laughs> I'm thinking of him and his cute dimples and all the music videos but the app my therapist recommended which I've sent to a lot of friends I don't know if Angela you've actually tried it it's called the healthy minds program and what I like is they have a few pillars that kind of go with it awareness connection insight and purpose and every other audio file is either a learn so they're kind of informing you about what you're going to do and like why it's important and then a practice and the practice I like because you can pick between five and 30 minutes and then if you're going to do it sitting or or not acting 
or active, whether you're walking or you're doing chores or whatever you're doing, you can do like a light workout or you can just sit for the time. And I like having the option because sometimes, like sometimes you're just too anxious in your body to sit for 15, 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. sometimes I could just, when I started, I could just do the five minute. More than me sitting for like two seconds was already two seconds too long. Mm-hmm. But I've worked my way up and now I try to do between 10 and 15, rye being the operative word. But I think what meditation has helped me do, especially along with CBD, CBT, oops, I, (laughs) my God, Freudian slip. Um, It's helped me be able to catch my thinking patterns as they happen, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say one of the exercises that I really like, it isn't direct meditation, but it's just a clear your mind exercise where you have to sit for five to 15 minutes or what I usually do is like I lay down and I hug this lavender scented pillow and you have to practice not holding on to your thoughts. So just like as something pops into your mind, you acknowledge it and then you have to let it drift off. No. So yeah, so it's this whole exercise in learning how not to hold on to negative thoughts or anxious thoughts, like anything that's going to like recur and catch your mind in a loop triggers that greater anxiety response. So I've actually, I've done this a few times in group therapy, like when they want you to get like your base understanding for how your thoughts go. And they told us that within the space of one hour, we have like 7 million thoughts. I've heard something like that. Yeah. Like your brain is constantly generating content. So whether you want it to or not, like something is going to pop into your head and it's whether or not you can recognize it and then actively release it. I think that's that's become one of my favorite ones. So I lay on the couch, I hug the pillow, which you can also microwave, which is amazing. Like I, I even do it in the middle of the summer because there's just something about Not the- all pillows, make sure you read yes, the tag. Yes, get a specific microwave safe infused pillow that is actually meant to go inside. Urban Outfitters actually did that for a little while. They had like avocados and pizza slices and things like that. They were pretty small, but you just like pop them in for 30 seconds and then it's like warm aromatherapy. So I love that. And then I've always been a big fan of grounding, but I found out recently that I actually don't ground correctly. Like there is- What does that mean? There's a better way to do it. So grounding is when you're overstimulated. You could be anxious, frustrated, scared, anything like that. And you try to call yourself back to a calm state by reminding yourself of like where you are. And DIY what is does going that on too. around you? Yeah. I, I actually used to do this a lot when I'd go to the doctor or to the hospital. Like, that's a sink. This is the table. The table's gray. That's the door. The handle turns to the left. Just like reminding myself of like very solid, concrete things that would not change. Um, my therapist has actually told me that it's better to work through in specific counts. So it's like go through the five senses and name one one thing in your environment from each one and then slowly increase it so like one thing you see one thing you can touch one thing you can smell one thing you hear and taste yeah taste is like a little weird so i think you can you can sub it out for something that makes sense depending upon where you are like sometimes when i do it i'm like oh like i have gum in my mouth i'm like it's minty it's sharp it's whatever. So yeah, just like going through like that. And so slowly like increasing your count gives your mind more of an area to focus on rather than just jumping around to different things. Hmm, that's interesting. So this so is I, something I recommend that, it. okay, so these, this isn't like us. I don't know exactly what this is and we are not medical professional and or psychology professional and or anything, but my therapist recommended these things from Serene Science called Calm things. And what it says on the back, it's two of the main inhibitory neurotransmitters. It's a precursor to dopamine and norepinephrine. So what it does is it helps you get calm faster, I say kind of ambivalently. I don't know. I was talking to my therapist about trying CBD or trying something and she told me to get these. They make me a little sleepy. Okay. I don't know fully I don't know how much they're really doing compared to placebo, compared to other things, because if I take it and I'm not super anxious, then I'm not super anxious. And if I take it, if I am super mm-hmm. anxious, it kind of helps. They come in orange. I got the mint ones. It kind of helps just in general, like shake my system a bit. 
So mm-hmm. I don't fully know. I have them and I've been taking them. When I did my datathon back in October, I took one before each one to kind of help me a bit. Oh, Which okay. is how I start figuring out the sleepy thing because I'm like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't be driving and <laughs> taking these. Probably not. So again, I would say test one at home prior to. It's not like super sleepy, like a Benadryl sleepy. It's more, it, it's kind of calm, but it like makes me a little like slightly drowsy. So again, test before. But I've been taking these when I've had some kind of ink, when I felt like extra anxious and like they do something so i've i've actually seen those i what i discovered recently and completely by accident is i thought i grabbed a poppy drink from our local store because oh, sometimes i go I'm, I'm that person so like sometimes i go to the deli and i pick up a sandwich there and i'll get like a drink too and that's like my treat for the week so i thought i grabbed a poppy but i grabbed this other soda called recess which has hemp infusion and something else in it that is supposed to so help, like clear and calm your mind yeah, I drank that. Oh my lord. I, I started panicking because I didn't realize it at first because they were the exact same color. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting there and I got so lethargic, but I felt really calm. That's good. So yeah, so I've had those occasionally when I get super anxious, but when I went to the store, because I'm like, they're also like $5 a can. So I'm like, this is not sustainable at all. Um, I actually found the little, um the GABA gummies. So I got two different kinds to see. Like I think I got one that has GABA and then one that's made by the same ran, but it has marigold extract and something else in it that's supposed to promote stress relief. Huh, can't wait for the review. Yeah. Something that my therapist says, which is frightening, which I didn't realize, I think it is, and you'll have to make sure to factor this, depression is the number one reason for disability in the world. Oh. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. Something else I think that we should talk a little bit about we've talked about various apps and or supplements which again we are not doctors pharmacists anything do your research talk to your doctor i talked to my doctor before i started taking these to make sure they weren't going to interfere with anything i was already taking therapy can be and is expensive and it's hard to find a therapist i my mom found my one when i was a kid and to get the one i have now i'm very fortunate worked on the first time i really did want a female so that made it harder and then going through like this whole intake process and emailing people and trying to figure it out is a lot of work it sucks if you're at the point where you're like i want a therapist i should find a therapist you don't want to go through the freaking bachelor and try out like 30 therapists to find someone because that's draining and you're already drained because you want to seek therapy And on top of that, it's expensive and some health insurances don't cover it. Exactly. No, I was, that was my first question when I signed up recently. So I was like, wait, how much is this going to cost? Because, so I have my health insurance through work. And for whatever reason, I think I'm the only one who has my health insurance plan. So when I know I have a coworker who's talked to me a little bit about like her therapist and she really likes her. So I was considering like, oh, maybe I should go to her, but we're not on the same network. And like she was talking about how it's like it's actually pretty expensive so I was really surprised my therapy is covered by my copay and do you know how much it would be without your copay I it would be about $400 I think yeah my copay is $20 like I feel so lucky that I have that and then at the same time it's like also it's just this like random wheel of chance that I happen to pick this job that gives me this insurance that provided this plan as an option to do this. $400 a session for 50 weeks out of the year, I close it, is $20,000. Oh, Lord. I mean, I know we're getting stimulus checks, but like I can't afford $20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm currently unemployed, but like, Angel, you have a relatively good job. Could you afford if paying $20,000 a year for therapy? Not really. I mean, That's I mean here's insane. the thing. Ideally, maybe. Maybe, but at the same time, it's like that would be a lot of what I could use for life. That's what a lot of other people need to use for life. So why why do we make it so expensive? So expensive. Something that I think there are a lot of great free resources out there. My two cult leaders, Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle, I think their books are amazing. I have Brene Brown. Oh, it's called The Gift of Imperfection. And then I have her one. Oh, no, it's okay. While you Google, actually, I just remembered recently I was talking to another friend about how she was starting to see a therapist. And she actually told me about this 
website called Open or this group called Open Path Collective where they're actually therapists that provide affordable in-office or online services. So between $30 to $60 for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it. So you do have to fill out an intake form and disclose your income, why you think that you qualify for their services, how it would help alleviate your financial burden. That's good. And like where your area is. And they have, so I actually looked through just to see like what their therapists were like. And they have so many different varieties of therapy offered. And I think they had like over 100,000 therapists that were currently signed up to offer services. That's great. The second book I had was Daring Greatly, which was the one I really wanted to read. And then Angel has Dare to Lead. And then Untamed is the Golden Doyle book. And TED Talks from Brene Brown. She has a, she's a podcast, which I love to listen to. She has two podcasts, actually. She has multiple TED Talks. And I think there are a bunch of great resources that are not therapy but can give you some of the same impacts. One of the reasons I love Brene Brown's book so much is I assume they would be qualified under self-help, but she is a researcher on shame and vulnerability. Oh, her Red Table talk is really good. I'll have Angela link that one. What I love so much about her is she's known for her work in shame and vulnerability and kind of doing that. And when I was listening to her in some interview, she's like, I hate being the face of vulnerability. I hate it. I don't I don't like it. Like I wouldn't have chosen this for myself. And it just is so relatable in the sense of even she doesn't like to do it. And it's very comforting knowing someone who's like a quote, like expert in the field and is a researcher and does all this work. Screw this. Like I don't like it either. But it's the way to be the most fulfilled version of yourself. And then Mm -hmm. another person I really like, I wouldn't say this should be your only resource. Um, Whitney Cummings has gotten very into neurobiology and how our brain works and stuff. So on her podcast, she's mentioned a few very interesting things. I know she went through Al-Anon because I believe either just her mother or both her parents were addicts. And she talks a lot about how Al-Anon and AA are free resources. And it's similar Mm -hmm. to a group therapy setting. I don't know what qualifies you to get into those if you have to I, I mean AA like alcohol I know there are all of the ones that for if like you have something and then Al-Anon's if you have someone affiliated with that like with um an addiction but like those are free resources that give you very similar things and like my favorite new phrase the serenity prayer is one of their main things that they do there and think it's good that there are resources out there that aren't a bunch of money Whitney Cummings I've learned a bunch on her podcast listening to her and how why she loves horses and equine therapy and now I'm trying to find a horse for myself because I'm gonna get this wrong oh I think they do that in the east bay I will figure out a way to get to the east bay if I can get equine therapy it has to do with horses are Horses don't respond to your, horses only respond to your nonverbal cues and your words. So they respond to your body language and things. It's really good for children. I know in our sustainability episode, we talk about it with Brandy a little bit, what it's like to work. I don't know if horses are predatory animals. I don't think they are, but whatever kind of animals they are is they respond more to your body language than the words you're saying. So if you're telling a horse to stop, but you're all crouched over, the horse will not listen to you. To command these animals, you need to be able to believe in yourself and your body language so I think that's really good she also has a movie called I think it's called the female brain I don't think it's like the it's not like the best movie ever made but it's just a really nice insight like one of the things I learned from it is women and men have the same portional of brain but in the woman it's smaller and different parts in men and women's brains are larger and smaller, which is why like women have better memory or men can get aggressive faster. It's just like literally biological. So weird. Are great resources to help supplement and or if you want to kind of dip your toe into this world and you're not ready for therapy. Everyone doesn't need therapy for the same reasons, but therapy is a good option to explore because at some point in your life, you may need someone else to talk to who can speak to you a little better about what you're going through than the people in your life, particularly if they haven't experienced said things. For example, I what I am going through right now, which led to my needing therapy, I can't really talk about because it involves other people and they are not ready to share that part of their story. So it's impacting me, but also a lot of people in my life haven't gone through this, nor has their family gone through it. So they can't really relate to my experience. So when I try to talk about it, I get a lot of, oh, I don't know how to help you. I don't. What? I get a lot of responses. 
I don't know how to help you. I'm I'm sorry. I don't really understand what you're going through. And and all of that is okay. I'm not looking for my friends to act as therapists. I would just like them to know what's going on in my life. So that way, when I don't feel like going out, like I'm not in the best of mood, I'm not super talkative, they understand that it's not coming from a place of disinterest in what they are saying or doing. It's because I'm not really having good time handling the range of emotions that I'm currently going through. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. Oh, another thing. I feel like we're kind of now not going all over the place, but if you think some therapists suck, not all therapists are good therapists. And similar to our mm. episode in, in medical advocacy, you deserve to have a therapist who you vibe with, who you can work well with, who you think really understands what you're going through. I know. Oh, I never get her name right. Rachel. Oh my God. Shoot. There's so many Rachels in the world right now. It's not Carlisle, but it looks like Carlisle. Cargill? Uh, I need a frame of reference. She is a- Is she also from The Bachelor? She's a black activist. Just kidding. Who's the, I believe, the founder of the Loveland Foundation, which is a foundation to help black women get therapy and help people in that space because it is not wide enough. Because like Angela said, different cultures view therapy differently. And so a lot of people in those races and cultural backgrounds don't go, don't become therapists because it's not natural for them. However, it's sometimes easier to have a therapist who's been in some more circumstances. If your therapist is a white man, no matter how much they try to relate to you as a black woman, there's going, I'm not saying they can't help you, but like there's going to be a part that they just don't have the correct tools for. But that doesn't mean they're a bad therapist, but some therapists, the point is some therapists are actually not great for you, you shouldn't settle for a therapist because when you're going to therapy, you're trying to become your most vulnerable, open, best self. And if you don't feel you can do that with a person, it's not worth the money. Exactly. It's okay. Sometimes it takes a little time and we understand that sometimes not everyone has the time to look into a therapist and shop around and go through multiple sessions. So we we understand that it's it's a little bit of that. It's it's a struggle, but it's a struggle that's worth it. Another thing that my therapist recommended that I try doing, part of CBT, um, Byron Katie. Have you heard of her worksheet? I don't think so. So she has a few worksheets that my therapist have me do. One of them is called Judge Your Neighbor, which is where you write about, think of a stressful situation with someone, for example, an argument as you mediate on that specific time, place to feel what that felt like and fill in the blanks. So the first one says, in this situation, who angers, confuses, hurts, saddens, disappoints you and why? And then it's kind of like a Mad Lib. And then wants advice and needs. So in the situation, how do you want him or her to change? What do you want from him or her? And three is the advice. In this situation, what advice would you offer him or her? Four is is the need. In order for you to be happy in the situation, what do you need him or her to think, say, or feel, or do? Five is complaint. What do you think of him and her in the situation? Make a list. It's okay to be petty and judgmental. I always am. And number six, what is it about this person and situation that you don't ever want to experience again? Okay, so I don't know if I know the name exactly, but everything you read just sounded so familiar. And I think it's one of the things, like we used to do little worksheets like that in school. Other ones. It's called One Belief at a Time. It's a written meditation. So on the belief line, write down a stressful belief. It could be a statement from Judge Your Neighbor, a stressful belief about someone whom you haven't forgiven 100% or any stressful thought at all. Allow yourself to mentally revisit the specific situation, then ask the question. So you write the belief down like, I am unworthy of love and belonging because that's a fun one. Then the the first question you ask, is it true? Yes or no? And then the second question is, can you absolutely know that it is true? Yes or no? Number three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And then the fourth one is, what would I be without that belief and or thought? We'll link all of these worksheets and things in our show notes because like we said, therapy is expensive, free resources. I don't try to therapize my friends because I don't think your friends are necessarily looking for that. But anytime I do have insights on my own behaviors from therapy or what therapy has taught me, I'm always willing to share. Angela knows this because it is expensive and we want, it's like getting vaccinated. The sooner one of us is vaccinated, the sooner we're all vaccinated. (laughs) I agree. And I think that it's also, it's given us a little bit of an insight into our friendship too, because as we've gone through various things, we, and we start to unpack them in different ways. I know even when I was doing my group therapy, I realized that a lot of responses that I had to some instances where Jay and I didn't see eye to eye, it wasn't because I actually disagreed with her. Like it was my anxiety talking. Wow, rude. 
I, I know my anxiety is very rude. I guess just like even like getting ready to put out our very first podcast episode. I was like, no, it's not right. It's not okay. People are going to be upset by it. And then like, I think it was maybe like an hour of you trying to fish around and try to pinpoint exactly what was wrong with it. And I couldn't articulate it. And then as I was moving around my kitchen, I, I saw my therapy workbook and I had to pause and I was like, I apologize. I now, it just like hit me in one instance. I was like, I can now hear how irrational I have been for the last hour. I need to take some time and work through this. Proceed. I don't believe that my fear that something is wrong is actually wrong. If I go, if I finish my workbook section and I still feel this way, I will let you know. I think that this is something beyond what I'm actually feeling. It was a fake feeling. (laughs) The number one way to be happy is like to feel loved and belong with your tribe, whoever that may be. And I think the hard about finding and kind of connecting with others is at the same same time as much you want to connect with others you have to be able to know who you are and connect with yourself first but Mm -hmm. we're not really taught how to do that we're more taught like be nice to them share your toys go apologize if you hurt their feelings and we're not really taught of how to handle internal things as well and I feel like that's definitely one of the misconceptions I feel like as becoming an adult I remember even being a kid and being like oh yeah like adults have all this figured out like this doesn't happen and now quarter life crisis me is like I'm 25 and I don't know things and I know people who have kids right now how do they know things and they probably don't know things no offense but like no one knows things is the point Mm -hmm. we're all just trying to figure it out and that's okay Mm -hmm. I think what we can end on here unless you have anything else is something my therapist had me read I don't know about you the personal bill of rights have you seen this yes do i need to pull it up no i haven't pulled up but do you have any thoughts before i read these and then you can comment along so these are the personal bill of rights which are something we should all try to own and be authentic in and live fruitfully number one i have the right to change and grow here here number two I have the right to take care of myself no matter what. Number three, I have the right to forgive others. Number four, I have the right to forgive myself. The hardest one of all. Number five, I have the right to give and receive love. Love. I have the right to my own personal space and time needs. Damn straight. I have the right to follow my own values and standards. Absolutely. I have the right to be in a non-abusive environment. We cannot stress this one enough. I have the right to make my own decisions. I have the right to make mistakes and not be perfect. I have the right to be playful. This isn't the one my therapist gave me, but it's fine. I have the right to all my feelings. I have the right to expect honesty from others. I have the right to determine and honor my own priorities. I have the right to dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. I have the right to end conversations with people who put me down. Every single time. I have the right to my needs and wants being respected by others. I have the right to privacy. I have the right to be happy. I have the right to say, I don't know. Ooh, that's a big one for me from other people. I actually love that one, which I've, see, I've found- I'm working on it. I I didn't know that a lot of people didn't feel comfortable saying that they didn't know something. Okay, 21. I have the right (laughs) to feel scared and say that I'm afraid. I have the right to say no. I have the right to change my mind. I have the right to not be responsible for others' behaviors, actions, feelings, or problems. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm saying that one again. I have the right to not be responsible for others' behaviors, actions, feelings, or problems. Mm-hmm. I have the right to ask for what I want. I have the right to be healthy. I have the right to express my feelings, both positive and negative. That's where thank yous come in. I have the right to be myself. I have the right to hold others accountable for their own behaviors and not take the blame. I have the right to create the future I want. I thought that's a funeral and I was like, what? Oh no. I have the right to be angry at someone I love. I have the right to share my feelings if and when I choose. I have the right to set healthy boundaries. I have the right to recovery. And I have the right to trust those who have earned it. Again, this is not my list, but I'll share this one with Angela because it's the one I just read off of. (laughs) Okay, I still think it's a great list. Me too. And I think that's the big one with me is in the best way possible, I've had this relief of when Angela's going through a hard time, it's not my responsibility to deal with it. And that sounds a lot harsher than it's supposed to, but it's a thing of like, Angela's burden is not my burden to deal with. And I feel like in years past, when my friends have been hurting, I want to hurt with them, which doesn't sound great, but it was the way for me to express to them, I'm here with you. I'm sitting in this with you. But the thing is, if we're both sitting in it, no one can help us out. Mm -hmm. And not to say that you always need someone to help you out, but if you need it, 
just in case. It's like you you need someone there whose phone there to toss you the lifeline, like the life jacket, the life preserver, like whatever you need in case it is too much for you. If someone is down with you, they can't give you what you need. And if what you don't need is for them to be there, but that's where they're choosing to be, then they're no, nothing's happening. Because if they need you to like give you a week to not text you to fend off others, it's the person who's experiencing it. And then if you want to assist that person, it's what can you do for the betterment of them, not to take on suffering. Be down without being down. I'm imagining a great eye roll right now. Sure. And on that note, thank you all for listening to this episode of In Omnia Paratus. Grab your coffee bowl and don't forget to rate, download, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead will follow. So head on over to at In Omnia Pod on Instagram and let us know more of what you'd like to hear about. Bye. Put on your oxygen mask before you assist others with theirs.